From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. And joining us this week to talk all things coronavirus is Andrew Siddons, our healthcare reporter. Thanks for having me. And we wanted to address what's on everybody's mind, which is coronavirus. It's not going away. It seems to be getting worse. We begin with breaking news about the coronavirus. Here in the U.S., at least 33 states and the District of Columbia have confirmed over 500 cases. That in New York, where the governor has declared a state of emergency with now at least 89 coronavirus cases, a 50 percent jump overnight. And we all know Congress last week finally passed this $8.3 billion emergency funding package. So here we are, $8.3 billion. Doing very well, but it's an unforeseen problem. We did want to ask you, Andrew, uh, to sort of lay out for us what's in this big package that just passed, because I think we've spent a lot of time tracking the package and, and saying it's going to happen, and it finally did happen, but I'm not sure it's clear to everybody what exactly it can do mm-hmm. uh, and how quickly it can do it. Right. Um, so, like you said, $8.3 billion, I believe the biggest proportion of that money um, is going into biomedical advanced research and development authority and related programs that are meant to, uh, aka BARDA. An account everyone, of course, is familiar with, right? Right. It's just not not at all in the weeds. Uh, BARDA and its like kind of sister agencies, um, they invest in research and development, invest in like the private sector for vaccines treatments, um, diagnostic tests, the things that there isn't much of a market for outside of emergency situations and that the government is usually the number one purchaser of things, you know, historically like Ebola vaccine or treatment. Now, for the novel coronavirus, they will be doing the same. So the bulk of the money here is going to vaccine research. Well, the biggest share of that $8.3 billion, uh, about $3 billion, is okay. going into the research development and procurement of not just vaccines, but treatments, diagnostic tests, um, any, uh, anything that's, you know, medical countermeasures, as they're called. This could also in- include, um, you know, more common medical supplies. Um, some of that's surely going to go toward uh, purchasing of, you know, surgical masks or the um, N95 masks uh, that healthcare workers are supposed to use, uh, as well as other types of, you know, personal protective equipment that can be helpful for the, uh, the frontline responders. And I think one thing that's sort of important to point out with this supplemental spending package is that all this money went to bolster existing accounts, right? These are these are programs and and line items that Congress has already approved money for through its annual spending bill. And because of the response, particularly among local and state health officials, to tracking this and testing for this and trying to address this, Congress said, we think these accounts need additional funding, right? That's correct. Um, And I think it raises interesting questions as we're going into fiscal 2021 appropriation season. Um, Because, for example, after the, you know, medical countermeasures funding, the next largest share of money was, I think, $2.2 billion uh, to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Some of that, $950 million, is for 
the CDC's primary grant to states for their public health um, preparedness and response. So these grants um, contribute. It's a very significant funding stream for state and local, you know, health agencies. The people who are on the front lines now, following up with potential cases. You this know, is to reimburse the cost of states and localities in 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 treating the the virus, right? Well, yeah. Um, you could say it's a reimbursement, but to be clear. This account, this is what goes to the, the the states get this every year. The size of that grant has actually decreased over over time. Effectively, through this supplemental, they they doubled it. They more than doubled it from what was existing in fiscal twenty twenty funds. Mm-hmm. And I think as a lot of groups that advocate for like strong public health preparedness and response will tell you, this is how much they probably should have been given in the first place and should be given on a year by year basis because it would have helped them be more ready when it did start spreading. Um, yeah. And uh, as I'm sure you've heard and can apply this to almost any emergency situation, you know, uh, emergency spending is, you know, a lot of people don't think that's a great way to run, uh, you know, to run things. Right. Um, because we should point out this emergency spending is all deficit finance. They didn't they didn't find they didn't offset any other programs to pay for this. So this is just a bigger deficit we're getting to, to fund all this. And now that Congress has approved this funding for various government agencies, conversations seem to be sort of turning towards what lawmakers and the Trump administration can do to try to bolster the private sector. We're talking about sort of a stimulus package right now, and things are in the very early days, but it sounds like paid sick leave may be a big part of this conversation. That's something that we saw this past weekend from an announcement from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. It's also something that is on the list this afternoon for a briefing that White House officials are going to give President Trump kind of laying out options. And so what do you think the odds are of Republicans and Democrats coming together quickly on a paid sick leave package, given that this is something that's traditionally been a bit divisive in the past? I think that's a good question. Um, I think that, I mean, emergencies have a a funny way of prompting people to act. Um, I'm, you know, it seems like paid sick leave has traditionally been, um, you know, advocates for it have faced an uphill battle uh, with, you know, Republicans in charge of things. But, um, you know, Republicans just supported the 12 weeks of paid parental leave for, for government workers. Um, I think a lot of people agree that people who are sick shouldn't be going to work and, um, you know, be spreading this disease. It was striking that the White House seems open to at least considering it because that's supposed to be a topic today as we take Monday at the White House on, on stimulus proposals. So they're at least open to it. Along with other things, right? I mean, there's, they're talking about helping small businesses, possible tax credits for workers impacted by the virus. Um, yeah, and I think uh, the interesting thing about some of the items on these lists are that 
most of them, at least from my understanding, would have to work their way through Congress. And this is something that's potentially going to take a little bit of time, right? Lawmakers move very quickly on this emergency aid bill for CDC and NIH and the Small Business Administration, but trying to get a consensus around a package that potentially includes paid sick leave and additional tax breaks in an election year, I think could be a bit of a a slow walk potentially compared to what we saw um, on these behind-the-scenes negotiations for this emergency aid package. And of course, because it's an election year, Congress's amount of time in Washington, D.C. is already sort of shortened. So they're here this week, and then I believe they're gone for a week, and then they're back. Yeah. There's a lot of unknowns. but also, And it's also unclear how big of an impact this virus is going to have economically. So it's 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 hard. It's going to be hard for them to judge how much stimulus do you really need. So there's, there's going to be a lot of battles on this ahead. I think one one thing I would note um, on the, the paid leave policy, if that's you know really going to be on the table here, is you know how long would that take to to implement? Like, can the government, can Congress, just you know snap their fingers and say? Every you know everybody has this guaranteed sick leave you know starting today. It seems like that would be something maybe more subject to like a long drawn out federal rulemaking process. And you know it is probably maybe it's you know a good long term policy solution for addressing you know f- future outbreaks. But will it help people um, take the time off that they need right now? Due to the coronavirus outbreak, or or is it, yeah. or is it just you know setting up the, our you know American system for better odds of success you know in Next in the future season maybe yeah it's also interesting to me how this is giving um, you know Democrats a lot of ammo to make their arguments for a lot of their long-time policy priorities like paid sick leave and like you know Medicare and Medicaid expansion. And I see they also push for uh, enhanced unemployment insurance. Uh, another thing that Dem- Pelosi was pushing for. Um, so there's a lot here, and we don't know the cost at all. Uh, and they, they're really sort of flying blind is the other problem because it's hard to measure when these are needed and how much is needed, right? Yeah, I think that's going to be part of this ongoing debate as the Trump administration, the democratically controlled House and the GOP controlled Senate really get into talks about a potential stimulus it's going to be one of the biggest um, the biggest drivers of those negotiations. And if we eventually get to legislation, I think that'll have a huge impact on what makes a final bill. And in the meantime, we have to see what kind of economic stimulus measures come out of this uh, virus outbreak, which we would be watching closely then. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email at cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thanks again to Andrew Siddons for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>